Hey, do you want to be like me and make podcasts that everyone loves? Yeah, you do. But chances are, you don't want to spend a bunch of money doing it. No worries. A solution exists. Spotify's got a platform that lets you make podcasts super easy, then distribute those podcasts everywhere, and you can even earn money doing it. All in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Also, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. I'm speaking from experience when I say that all those additional features like video podcasts, Q&As, polls, those are things you won't find for cheap elsewhere. But with Spotify for Podcasters, it's all totally free no catch. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Thanks. We love you. Everybody, welcome to Pretty Scary, I believe. Uh, yes, Pretty Scary. Oh, boo. Pretty Scary Boo. Are you Caitlin Cut? I am, actually. Yes. Because because I'm Adam Todd Brown, and that, to me, sounds like the hosts of Pretty Scary. It sounds like that show, and it's nice to finally connect. It really is. It's good to put a face to the name. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's After been a, it all these never years, happened. all these years, crazy, man, you look exactly the way I thought you would. Same, same. Yeah. So do you. So you just assumed I had flaming red hair. I did. Like I did. Got it. Okay. The, cool. the yeah. nose ring connected to the earring with a chain yeah. is an interesting attempt well, I, to bring back a thing. Everyone hated the first time they saw it. Yeah. And I've taped it to the side of my face. So it doesn't ruin the recording. Right. Was, so it, that's what the painter's tape is. So, so it's not, jing- it's not a tattoo, jingling. It's just correct. correct. If you ever, in a, if you ever know you're going to be in a fight, you're going to want to do that too. Otherwise, I, I, that's what this latch is for. That's it's a release. It just pops go right to. off. Woo, so, woo. Well, I'm in a lot of uh, street fights. Who isn't? So, who no, yeah. isn't these no, 2021, days? Here we are. Caitlin, City. Yeah. how is it going? Uh... Good. You know, I got to say right now I'm okay. Nobody's sick. Nobody's I yeah, I'm okay right now. I'm, well, I'm doing all right. Well, that's good to hear. How are you? Oh, you know, I'm fine. <laughs> as as fine as can be. Same as it ever was. You may ask yourself, <laughs> what are we talking about today? This is not my lower intestine. <laughs> These are not my beautiful poops. These are not my creepy hemorrhoids. That is a appropriately tasteful way to transition into what we're talking about today. This, that song specifically. Yeah, yeah, actually. The whole thing. The whole, the whole thing. Because we're talking about joke. some shit. And by that, I mean the curse of Von Dutch. 
I just want to say at the top of this that I, I texted you. I always assumed this brand was vaguely racist and I did not realize how right I was. So right. Holy shit. Had no idea. I didn't like, either. I don't even remember that story breaking. Because there was no social media. Yeah. It was before so it's social like media. That, that would have. Okay, we'll get to it. But we'll I just want to say that the people that I saw wearing that stuff were always the people I thought were neo-Nazis. Yeah. Always. Like it, it, it was a very specific, especially downtown Huntington Beach, late 90s, early 2000s, like dude, there was an aesthetic that these got like very like rockabilly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Slash neo-Nazi. That's where like, it just started. So- and then yeah. it became every celebrity in the world, which yeah. we're going to get to all of that. We're, we're going to get to all of it. We're, we're covering this is a documentary you can watch on Hulu called The Curse of Von Dutch. And then there's some other stuff after that. I'm not going to. Yeah, I don't care about knows. that part. But uh, it's a good documentary. It's it's only three episodes, which I appreciate. Each episode That's has so blessed. Yeah. That it's three episodes. Like nothing it, needs to be more than that. And each episode has a purpose. Like there's no there's not a lot of fat on this documentary which I no. appreciate because this is the the rare case where you do kind of need to know a lot of backstory Man. because otherwise it's just a documentary about a murder that is clearly self-defense. Yeah. I mean, I, I do want to say that it's very clear to me that like two of these major tentpole interviews must've been incredibly difficult to, to conduct. Um, one, because one of them literally starts get repeatedly gets up and walks around which is like a nightmare if you're trying to film he's very animated yeah yeah and then the other person is on crack and that's not that's not like me saying like oh they're on crack uh caitlin don't slander that man's good name he is smoking pain pills sure so bad no, pa- smoking pain pills is essentially yeah. smoking crack. Like, that's, oh, okay, got it. I I, I never think about. I mean, these it's things. they don't have the same effect, but he's he's essentially like doing opiates, but just on in camera a, in a more uh, direct way than just popping a pill in his trailer. Yeah, the the next step is injecting him. Yeah, just I could, but you know, he's just not going to do that on camera. I guess. I don't doubt that he would shoot. Uh, inje- no. I don't doubt that he would inject pain pills into his arm. Like he's for people at home who haven't seen it. He's basically he's got the pill crushed up on a piece of aluminum foil and he's got a lighter under that and a straw that he's using to to smoke it, which that real like if you know anything about meth, that usually goes from snorting it to smoking it to injecting it. Same with heroin. So he's on. He'll get there. He'll get there. Interview him. Interview him in 10 years if he's alive. Speaking of getting there, let's explain the documentary to people who have found this podcast, and this is the first episode that we've ever listened to. Well, this documentary, it's about Von Dutch, which was a huge clothing brand in the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. It eventually came to be known as Von Douche because the clientele it was attracting was not necessarily respected on the world stage. Which brings us to just how damn appropriate is it that the theme song for this documentary is Butterfly by Crazy Town. That okay, is so that is a right, Von Dutch trucker hat in 
song form. It that was such a win for that team. <laughs> this this team. I mean, oh yes. Right when it started, I went, uh huh. Like, okay, cool. Like, so they already know. They they've already dialed it all in. There's no. It's a win for both sides. Yeah. Because everyone secretly loves that song for one thing. Yeah. Like, it's a good vibe. No one doesn't like it, but the people who admit they like it are going to be hooked right away. And then they won't be as heartbroken when they find out the clothing brand they wore so much was for Nazis. My relationship with that song is not unlike my relationship with Von Dutch, which is I've never sought it out intentionally. It's always literally just appeared in in a room that I'm in or a place that I'm at. And I've I've never had like a virulent reaction to it. I've always been fine with it. But I the second it's out of my purview, I never think about it ever like at all. It has to literally appear to me completely embodied for me to even think about it. It, yeah, like if your favorite band is Crazy Town, you're a very specific kind of person. And you, you know there's crazy. people out there who are like, yeah, cra- I'm sorry, Crazy Town is my favorite band. It's like, mm. really? Out of all the bands. I feel like sometimes people choose obscure things to make their thing because somehow they feel like they're going to eventually have access to that thing. Either that or it gives them a sense of personality. Anytime you're trying to achieve that externally, I don't know what to, you're, you got a rough road ahead. Or like, I feel like an even weirder answer would, would be you too. Mm-hmm. Like that would be even further down whatever river we're navigating right now. Like, oh, like that's a very safe choice, I guess. Like, yeah, if your favorite really? band is you too, you better have a family member who lost a leg in the troubles. <laughs> Like that. Exactly. Other, other than that, they, what is your desire? To- I feel like I'd have more respect for somebody who said their favorite band was like still the Spice Girls. Right. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, OK, well, that's a that's a choice. Like you've done something there. And I guess I can't argue with their staying power. They'll but anyway, be, yeah, Crazy Town fans, let it, tweet at us. Let us know if that you exist. Yeah. Let us know how Shifty Shell Shock strong, is doing. Strong choice to open the documentary with. Could not. That's the perfect song. There is no better song. And it made me feel like, OK, these people have a command of the topic and this is going to be good. I immediately felt that way about, yeah. about it when that came on. And that's correct. This is, I would I would say right up front. This is a good documentary. It's yeah, it is really well done. Uh, how much Von Dutch clothing did you have back in the day? Zero. Yeah, same. Because I lived in South Dakota. So by the time it even got to me, it got to me as, oh, look at the stuff that all the douchebags that you don't like wear. But also Tommy Lee, he's cool. My problem is I look really bad in hats. And I know a lot of people are like, I don't like it in hats. They put a hat on. You're like, what are you talking about? I Something about my head disappears if I wear it. It's very weird. I look very weird in a hat. So to me, the Von Dutch thing, it was mostly the hat because I thought the clothes were not for me. We'll just put it that way. Because uh, it was like super hot girl shit also. Yeah. Where I was from and like very specific, like very thin, like b- very big boob hot girl shit. Um, so it wasn't for me. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just not the same if you're wearing that to your day job at Starbucks. No, no, I worked at a gift shop called the general store where we sold small ceramic angels. Like it wasn't not a, not a Von Dutch environment. Yeah. They were like, you're hired. I was like, that's sad. That makes, (laughs) I don't know what that means. We we sold flags for every holiday. Oof. Yeah. Any flag scares me these days. Yeah. All flags are scary. So the first episode is all about the controversy behind who actually founded Von Dutch, 
which is way more of a controversy than I ever realized. Is it a controversy or is this just a collection of very disorganized weird people? Yeah, it's it's <laughs> I, kind I don't of know. That. I think I will say this. I think this documentary tries to position itself in some ways. It's like, isn't this a tragedy? And it's like, not really. Yeah. Because it's it's a string of people not reading their contract. It re- it genuinely is that. Pro- it's it's that. And like, they, I would argue they really telegraph who's going to die at the end. And the problem with the person who dies is he maybe had the least to do with the story. So at the end, it's kind of it's it's like one of those like sitcom episodes where they would tease that someone's going to die and then it ends up being like the landscaper who's been in five episodes and it's like oh you're cheating kill the dad i yeah i was i mean but beyond that it didn't bother me yeah it's just it was also like the person that dies is kind of like a well yeah yeah (laughs) i hate to say this it's like you okay let's get to let's let's just start get into it we should mention von dutch is a real person guy named kenneth howard boy was he a real person he yeah he's a real person if you know what i mean like a very specific person it's like if walt disney was a planner's word he would be this person but he's also just sort of connected to the von dutch clothing line in that it's his name and it's his art but oh i was even going deeper i was thinking never mind i see what you're saying yes this guy the guy in long beach what no i wasn't like contradicting oh. what you said i was just oh, moving okay, on sorry. With the notes yeah i was like what <laughs> yeah he's he's not like it's his art but he also had this uh very stupid i would argue uh personal belief that copyrights <laughs> and patents and things like that were overrated so it seems like these people knew that and were just like, let's fucking start a clothing line and put all his shit on it. I just have a hard time feeling. It was very odd to see all of these men spouting off their business philosophies from a trailer and what looks like an abandoned downtown LA warehouse. I, it's like, I don't think anybody should listen to you. Yeah. It seemed like, all. seemed like the only one who should be listened to on that front was Sony. Is that how you pronounced his name? Because it wasn't Sonny. Wasn't Sonny, was it? No, it was either <laughs> Sony or Sunny. Now I can't I think remember. They said it once, and everybody was like, "Let's not, tra- let's not do yeah, that again." Yeah, we're just going to go back to Sonny. It's fine. Just let's stick with that. Because that guy, they interviewed him in what appeared to be the room in his house where he stores his motorcycle collection. Like, and he came here as a Taekwondo master and a budding actor who did not work out as an actor, but. But I respect the fact that he pivoted. I actually don't really have a total issue with this guy. To and I, I think they try to position him in some ways as like the villain. But yeah, he, I, I, I can't he, see that. Like, I think he turns really. out not to be. But he does. He does do one thing early on that's yeah kind of questionable. Also, his pivot, if you remember, they reveal it near the end. His pivot was he married a rich Brazilian woman. Like he didn't work his way up from actor to billionaire investor. He just married a rich woman. I think I just respect anybody who gives up on acting. (laughs) Yeah. Anybody that's genuinely like, I'm done and I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm like mad respect. And because if, if you I can, know so many like real estate agents slash actors, it, it's just oh for sure, it's a lot to watch. And if you can pull a rich Brazilian woman uh, to the point that she wants to be your wife just on your Taekwondo skills, 
Bravo. Bravo. I would then argue there are more skills there than are being oh, yeah. uh, signaled, in oh, my yeah. opinion. Yeah. He can fuck. So. <laughs> huh? Huh? What? What do you mean? So eventually they turn his art into a clothing brand. And that's kind of the central controversy of this documentary, which is, or at least this episode, but kind of the whole documentary, which is who created Von Dutch. Because there are at least three people who claim to be the ones who started it. Four, if you count the sunny guy, but he just laughs when they ask him if he created Von Dutch. The first guy they interview is Ed Boswell, who he's one of the people who claims to have founded founded the company. What I like about Ed Boswell, have you ever, you've seen the first Purge movie, the one with mm-hmm. Ethan Hawke, right? Oh, yeah. And you remember how that ends. Spoiler alert, everybody. There's the guy that they let into the house right in the beginning. And then for most of the movie, you never see him again. It's like you almost forget he exists, which is a classic horror movie thing. And then at the end, he just shows up again to save the day. Ed Boswell does that and we'll we'll get to how. But he actually shows up to ruin everyone's day. Yeah, he's he's just that mole you never got checked out. And He's got kind of a valid reason to do it. Oh, I'd say more than kind of, but. Because he, re- but- he really gets fucked out of this company worse than anyone else. Yeah. Yes. I, I just, again, though, I really have a hard time. If your whole attitude is, I'm always a little conflicted when I interact with people that are like, hey, fuck the man. I'm going to start a small business. It's like, wait. You kind of need the man for like, that. You, you're going to need the man. The man's going to have to show up. Sometimes <laughs> I, I registered this company as an LLC and now I have to tell California immediately whenever I move, like I'm on the fucking sex offender registry. It's well, crazy. I, yeah, you started a company. So it's like that's what happens. And can I tell you people thinking of moving to California? I don't know if there is a more ruthless tax collecting agency on the planet than California state tax. Oh, no. Yeah, no. They do not fuck around. Uh Uh-uh. No. No, they don't. Anyway, that's a sidebar. Okay. So so this guy, you know, he was friends with the original Von Dutch guy. And basically wanted to, even his, like, plan is murky to me, to be totally honest with you, Adam. I don't really know. And I don't think it's the documentary's fault. Like, sometimes I watch this, I'm like, you didn't get a good interview. But I think with this guy, I mean, it literally opens with him letting them into his Long Beach apartment and opting to lay on a bed for his interview. Yeah, like he's doing psychotherapy. And so his whole kind of like, he just seems like an impossible, all of these men seem like impossible people to be around for extended periods of time. Yes. And I find it fascinating that they all gravitated towards this aesthetic you know it's weird because all of them on some level like would you just realize if you're a sane person that's trying to build a healthy life oh you're gonna you're gonna self-destruct there's no you know and this guy clearly he does it early on by showing up at a trade show and having his little patches everywhere and then basically lets these guys walk away with the patches yeah he like in that way he did create Von Dutch. Yes, because he literally designed the patch that everybody thinks like if you say Von Dutch the thing that you're seeing in your head that's he made that, that. patch. Yeah. Because even Von Dutch didn't make that. 
And exactly. He was, like a, he was like a weird surfer artist, like surrealist guy. It's very weird. Yeah. He was known for pinstriping. That was like his thing. Yeah. What a, okay. Yeah. That's yeah. the hill he died on. Well, no, not well, yet. Well, no, he, he died on a very, very different hill. Specific hill. Uh, what was up with uh, where this guy lived? Uh, in Long Beach? Ed Boswell, because his cat is just running roughshod around the whole place. So it seems like it's a house, but also there's like 15 mailboxes at the bottom that, of the steps. That's the most Long Beach apartment I've ever seen in my life. So if you've ever lived in Long Beach, it, like these older buildings were, it feels like a lot of them were built on some level with a, improvisation happening. Like you'll, I, I lived in an apartment once where it was a three bedroom apartment and each bedroom was 10 by, I mean, it was huge, huge, huge rooms, two uh-huh. bathrooms. And then every other apartment in the building was a s- very small two bedroom. <laughs> That's weird. Yeah. And so, and then another time I lived in a studio apartment that had, there were probably 10 other units, but I had a private entryway up to my incredibly small studio apartment, but it was like its own staircase. That's, that's interesting. Also so much drama in the LBC. So, I mean, Hey, we do not, we, we do not mince our words in Long Beach. I didn't, Um, I didn't know it extended to the layout of apartment buildings so so this guy's apartment actually while they were like walking up his private hallway which is what this looked like because i've had one before yeah uh miles my husband and i were like oh that's definitely long beach like that's a very long beach specifically downtown long beach area kind of these old buildings are weird as hell it's like all a winchester mystery house (laughs) yeah it looks like it yeah so he he lets on right away that he feels like he was kind of screwed out of this company, but they don't really get to why they just leave it at him saying that and then going in the neck, <laughs> which is a thing he says about people who he's, he's had it with in the neck, <laughs> in the neck, which he, pick he that has, up everybody. Yeah. Everybody's going to have to start saying that now. FYI. Um, it's going to be Kamala Harris in her next address. That's how she's going to end her speech in the neck. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I also want to talk about his aesthetic really quick, which is this like very like specific 90s Dickies. He looks like what the lead singer of Everclear probably looks like now. Thank you. I haven't That's seen perfect. Art Elixakis in a long time, but I I bet it's getting pretty Ed Boswell up in there. <laughs> he's got, you know, like a page boy hat on uh-huh. mm-hmm. and he Tinted, has, he's got sunglasses, but they're not like normal sunglasses. They're like red or blue or yellow, yeah. which is extremely my shit, but yeah, I totally, this isn't a critique. It's just, he is a very specific looking person and he's never stopped trying to look cool, which is not a, a bad it's thing. It's not a bad thing. What I'm trying to say is he's the only person So we've got three people claiming to have started Von Dutch in this documentary. He's the only person that actually aesthetically matches the Von Dutch brand, in my opinion. His whole vibe actually, he actually looks like he created it, even though I think he was irresponsible with business practices. Like a little bit. And there's a reason for that. It's because he created the damn logo. Right, right. In the neck. In the neck. All right. So the next person we meet, Bobby Vaughn, I dislike him for about 95% of this documentary. There's a point where I'm super duper on his side, but 
it, well, it's, it's point, a real point, it's a real buzzer beater. The point where we're on his side is like if you're not on his side, in the neck. In the neck. Like it's we're all kind of painted in a corner with Bobby at a certain point. Yeah, um, if you're if you're not on his side, you're probably von dutch uh if yeah. you know what we mean which if you'll figure you out no um bobby is so much like so many guys i grew up with it's crazy he's a he's a character he's very animated he was adopted which made him feel a little alienated as a kid it seems and by that i mean it seems like the defining issue of his entire life and it doesn't really seem like his extended family is very involved in his life at this no. point, which as the documentary unfolds, you can see why, in my opinion. Yeah, he takes he takes he takes a bad turn, takes a few choices. bad turns. He makes, makes some questionable choices. choices. Even ugh, there's there's I, look, a thing. We're gonna, whoa, yeah, yeah. We're getting there. We're getting there. Fucking Bobby. But he he they. At first, they make it seem like he started a company called the Bronze Age, but he didn't. He was just like attracted to it in some way. He basically fell in love with this. Not unlike the introduction that we're giving him. His introduction is a little scattered. I feel like there's probably a lot of this that they could have cut out. But what they tried to project is he was really trying to find a place to fit in. So he uh, was adopted. He didn't fit in with his family. Then he became a surfer guy, but didn't really dig the, I guess, aesthetic of the surf scene. Although I could argue that he probably was also turned off by the fact that it was a pretty chill scene. And he's, he's a not pretty chill. intense dude. He yeah. is not chill. <laughs> um at all. And so then he gets into this logo. He sees this logo that he apparently really loves called Bronze Age and loves it so much that he starts to buy everything and then approaches the owner and says, Can I rep your brand? Right. And the brand I think I think it's important to talk about what the brand was because this was happening at really the height of gangster rap like 93 94 when dr dre and snoop dogg are first yeah. coming out and if you remember the fashion at the time uh at least among west coast rappers I, and i lived it yeah enthusiasts uh very baggy a lot of denim almost kind of a uh jail yard look when it came to the the denim like if you watch the movie cb is it CB4? God damn yeah. it. Or CB3. I think it's CB4. I it was CB4. It's a, yeah, CB4. Bro Very Bronze, good movie. Bronze Age is like a goth version of OP, in my opinion. A like little a goth, bit. A goth gangster version of OP. Because but it also, has, yeah, it has pockets for 40 ounces in some of the jackets, which exactly. I could have, I think we could have just said that at the beginning. Yeah. Well, which, I mean, but it, but it also. The thing that's hard for me to just classify it as like specifically gangster is I knew so many skater kids that wore Bronze Age too. Um, it was always like there was always some kind of gang affiliation vibe coming off of it. But at the same time, the people that I saw wearing that stuff were genuinely like good natured dudes that just wanted to skate drink. And that was the end of it. Like it, it wasn't like, no, no, I'm not saying everyone who dressed like that was a gang member. Oh, no, like, not, it was I'm like not, the, the prevalent fashion um, 
at at the time. Like I think, everyone, I, think, I, I wore a fucking Carhartt jacket because of shit like that. <laughs> I but also, I'm I lived fighting, in the Midwest. I mean, you have to realize that this this was like something that was all around me, and parents were constantly freaking out about whether or not their children were joining gangs or indeed just skateboarding. So it's interesting to see that this that Bronze Age was connected to this story in this way, because in my mind, Von Dutch definitely is an evolution aesthetically for that specific area, very specifically. Like, it's just very interesting. So the next person they interview, Mike Cassell. I do not like this guy. He also, he he makes some, some questionable decisions. Like everyone sort of has an argument going for them in this documentary in some ways, but Mike, I think they, they position him in this documentary as if he had just stayed in charge, things would have like grown slowly and Von Dutch would still be a cool brand. And I cannot disagree more. Like for one thing, I completely disagree with this. Like he's got at every step of the way, he's the one who really, really fucks up. And his first interview, he's he's living in a trailer in the woods with a goddamn adorable dog. Great who dog. Deserves a documentary of his own. Good, good boy. Mm-hmm. And he's smoking a, a, a pain pill uh, at best. Uh, to to start this document or to start this interview. And uh, it's a weird moment. It's not a thing you often see. It's really weird. It's very uncomfortable. And what you learn is that basically he was an illustrator. He, he liked to draw and wanted to start a clothing company and was also a drug runner and not kind of a drug runner, but has like ties to the Escobar family. Like, the actual We're not talking Escobar a, family. Yeah. And then there's like a waterfall of interviews where people are basically saying, oh, we know Mike Cassell has killed people or has been involved with killing people. And it's right. like, cool. OK, but so also, you're this guy. Also, when they give us all that background, you get a really early example of how he's a good businessman who makes dumb decisions. He had the license plate on his car when he was selling drugs for Indica, which this is the 80s, early 90s. Like, that's not it's not legal anywhere. And even if it is, are you trying to get pulled over three to four times a week? Like, that makes zero sense. I feel like this documentary highlights something that's super important, which is there is a big lie that's propagated from like really all aesthetic industries, like photography, from photography to fashion, to music, to movies, whatever, take your pick that like, you can be this crazy outlaw and be successful in these industries. And it's like, this is not true (laughs) because at a certain point you're dealing with so much money that people don't want a live wire. Like it's, it's a complete lie. And the people that buy into this lie, like Bobby and Mike Cassell, this is how they always end up. Always. It's that Hunter S. Thompson shit. Like everyone thinks they can be Hunter S. Thompson. And yes, you can be a massive asshole, which he definitely was, but you got to understand you're not Hunter S. Thompson as a writer or as an artist, probably. And uh, because he was so good at what he did, he was barely tolerated. Like you got to be that good to be that fucking guy. And most people think, aren't. And I, also Hunter I, yeah. S. Thompson was overrated. Also, I think the thing is, is that his medium, I feel like writing is probably really one of the only 
mediums, truly one of the yeah. only mediums where you can actually be like this. I, so I, I will walk back my statement a little bit. Well, also writing, if- writing is literally your, you like there's, it's only going to come from your brain and there's nothing anybody can do about it. Everything yeah. else. <laughs> well, it. well, I, I think not necessarily, uh, everything else, but kind of the same idea. If you, if you can work independently, as long as you don't have to be a partnership <laughs> with someone, you can be as crazy as you want. But that's, but that's the thing is these people are not, I, I'm trying to talk about like these guys who have this fantasy of like chicks and fashion and all this stuff. First of all, fashion is one of the most financially impacted industries you could get involved in. <laughs> like you are literally selling by unit. Like there's, there's oh, yeah. no other way to look at it. So it's so strange to me to see these people try to approach this industry as like outlaws. It's like, you're going to sell your outlaw stuff at Walmart eventually. What's the end goal? It's very interesting. <laughs> and the answer was yes. It was yes, but from someone else. All right. How do we feel about the fast food murder story? This is the point where Mark Revis comes into the picture. And for a good long while there, I was like, did he just confess to a murder? There's no statute of limitations on murder. But it did turn out that Mark Revis did serve time for what they talk about. But basically, yeah, explain for people that haven't watched it. This is how Mark Revis enters the picture. Bobby Vaughn is talking about his friendship with Mark Revis, and it's a really important moment. What happens, Bobby Vaughn has a gun with him, and at one point he's fucking around with it and accidentally shoots through his pant leg. So Mark Revis is like, give me the gun, just give it to me. And shortly after Mark Revis takes the gun, a bunch of guys pull up in a van, and they almost run people over, they're being really aggressive, And they approach Mark and Bobby and they're posturing like they want to fight. And so Mark does that thing Harrison Ford does in Indiana Jones, where the guy's like swinging the knife around and he just pulls out a gun and fucking shoots him. And everyone's like, holy shit, that's that's bad times. And Mark is like, "Uh, well, first off, here's your gun back. And now (laughs) let's run. Yeah, gives the gun back to Bobby. But what we find out later, the reason that part is so important, Bobby Vaughn would have gone to prison as part of that murder. There's no question. It was his gun. He handed the gun to Mark. Mark shoots the guy and gives the gun back to Bobby. Like, you're 100% an accomplice. But Mark never told anyone that Bobby gave him the gun, which raises a weird conflict for me because it's like, now you told him. And I feel like the police could still come and be like, hey, 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 that murder you talked about in the documentary, you were you were an accomplice. We're going to arrest you, too. Not like not that the police would waste taxpayer time and money on something like that. But it's always weird. I think I think they kind of muddied the storytelling a little bit in this documentary to the point where. Yes, that's what's communicated, but Bobby doesn't explicitly say any of that. His baby mama girlfriend later is the one that explicitly says, like, these are the things. But technically, what they capture on film is not a confession. Yeah, yeah, it's more hearsay. So, yeah. Which Um, is probably why he's like, you know what? I don't want to talk about this anymore. Yeah, they get that cool kind of burner moment, which I I always like getting. Those are great in documentaries when people get up and walk away from the camera. Although Bobby does that a lot, probably because I think he's I think that guy was on something during that interview. I hate to say it. I think he was on being Bobby Vaughn. But (laughs) 
maybe that's all it was. Yeah, maybe he's just a manic dude. Because like the stuff he does over the course of this documentary is... It is pretty manic. Just very, very aggressive. And uh, so Bobby Vaughn and kind of inserts himself into the bronze age. He just Yeah, he reaches says I want to I want to be a rep, so let me just rep your shit and try to sell it in stores basically. Yeah, he's like, "Look at me. I'm fucking I'm gorgeous. I'm cut. I can surf. I'll sell your clothes." And they're like, "Fuck yeah, dude. Uh come work for us." And that's when Mike Cassell makes Mistake number two, I would argue, if you're counting the four Indica license plate. We're talking big mistakes. This is number two. This is a massive mistake. What he does, he brings in an investor very early on in the Bronze Age, and he sells the entire company for $35,000, which is the cost of all the inventory they had on hand. And they sign this deal where someone else owns the company now, but they're going to hire Bobby and Mike to work for the company. And they do that. And then they immediately fire them <laughs> and file for bankruptcy, which I don't know the logistics of how you make money with a scheme like that. But he basically I, gave the company away immediately. I think it's a tax thing. Yeah, I think maybe. people will buy up failing businesses and absorb a bunch of their money that way. And it's it's at this point that Von Dutch becomes an idea for a clothing brand. Like so, Bronze Bronze Age is no more. Right. Just to explicitly say. It. And the other thing to note is that that um, Mike was designing. <laughs> this is another really important part. Mike basically is on a cocaine run and gets caught and sent to prison, and oh, yeah. is designing graphics. <laughs> From his jail cell for Bronze Age, which I think, you know, doubled the street cred kind of a thing that, that I'm sure that the lore of that was was pretty helpful, I guess. I just think it's important to say because then he gets out. He meets Bobby. Bobby's like, I'm going to sell your shit. And then he immediately makes this horrible business decision. And then suddenly the two of them decide to go to an apparel sh- show and find the next big thing. And that's when the moment happens. That's when they find Ed Boswell and the Von Dutch patches, they start making jeans and T-shirts. What I like is that uh, if you bought Von Dutch clothing in those early days, you were just like buying Dickies that had Von Dutch patches on them. They just took the Dickies patches off. And that's like it seems like Ed Boswell, once they get in touch with him, is the one who's got the idea to put these Von Dutch patches on things. And Mike and Bobby and Ed run with it at first. That's the whole brand is just literally putting patches on hard denim. Yeah. That's, that's kind of it. Like, you know. This is the point where we meet Eli Jane also, who is uh, eventually becomes Bobby Vaughn's wife, right? They get married, I think. I am not clear. I'll be honest. Um, the- they're together for a long they're, time. They're together for a long time. Uh, she's she's the bizarre. first first model uh, and first investor in Von Dutch, and also at the time a huge crystal meth fan. Which by the time this documentary happens, she hasn't done crystal meth in like twenty one years. You can tell she doesn't look like it. Thank God. Yeah, bless yeah. her heart. She still looks great. So they introduce her, and she's kind of important to the story, but it's more just because she was there. I don't think she's important at all. I don't know why she was in it. She's the one interview where I'm like, because 
first of all, the way Bobby talks, like tells the story of how he meets this woman is all over the map. It uh, is the, yeah. it, they, that should have been completely cut. This is my biggest critique of this documentary. Yes, is, I agree. This, if anything could have been cut, it's there's this storyline. No reason for this storyline to be in this documentary other yeah. than how he ended up being a father. Right. And even then he could be like, I had a kid around this time. That's it. Like, that's all we needed. She's registered. That information is registered. We can move. Yeah, because as it moves on in my head, I'm thinking, oh, so she's going to be part of like trying to get her money back and things like that. That never happens. I mean, there's other than just having a female voice in this, which there aren't many, but that's no shocker. I don't know why (laughs) she's in this. I don't know why she's in this documentary. So uh, they introduce her and then we find out how Von Dutch really got their big break, which is interesting because I I remember this moment vividly because I was a big fan of MTV Cribs. One of the best reality shows ever. Best episode in uh, IMHO, uh, Red Man, who was a rapper from New Jersey who took them to his two bedroom townhouse in New Jersey. It had like a broken doorbell. There was a dollar box for running to the store on top of the refrigerator. I Great. mean, I still, I, the Mariah Carey episode is well, of course, I that's mean. the iconic one. Right. I mean, actually. And this episode that we talk about in this is another one that was pretty crazy. The Tommy Lee episode, which the thing yep. that always stuck with me was he had a Starbucks in his house. I was like, man, yes, that is that's how a rich person lives. Fucking right. So basically what happens, Bobby gets introduced to Tommy Lee. First, he gets introduced to Pamela Anderson. She introduces him to Tommy Lee. Bobby's hanging out at Tommy Lee's house. They're they're having an actual party. Uh, It's exactly what you imagine is happening at Tommy Lee's house. And Tommy Lee eventually goes to bed, at which point. A camera crew from MTV shows up and Bobby answers the door and they're like, we're filming today. And he's like, Tommy's asleep. And they're like, we are filming today. Can you imagine? That's got to be how it was almost every single time they did that show. Yeah. I mean, like once you're that rich, there's no rules in your life. Like you might be a nice enough person (laughs) to follow rules. I'm just imagining firing off a text like, sorry, Adam, I can't record today. I forgot that they were filming my house this week. I mean, that's normally something that people would spend a month getting ready for. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I have to clean my house for Thanksgiving two days, like for two days. (laughs) And but Tommy Lee swings into action because he's Tommy Lee. Like, all he's got to do is go rejoin the party and show a camera crew around. Just forever party. And Bobby Vaughn has the brilliant idea to, one, uh, give Tommy Lee a Von Dutch shirt, because at first he's wearing a Marshall shirt, I believe. Uh, And Bobby is like, man, will you put on this Von Dutch shirt? And Tommy Lee's like, of course, bro. And then Bobby puts Von Dutch stickers on the tank tops all the girls are wearing. So there's not even Von Dutch tank tops at this point in history, but it looks like they're all wearing Von Dutch And people see this episode and it fucking blows up. Easy peasy. It's what we need to happen with this podcast. We need to be at Tommy Lee's house when they bring back MTV Cribs. That's the easy part. They walk through like the pool area 
and you and I live podcasting it up. Yeah, and they just leave the camera on us. Yeah. Forget the house. Who are these two fascinating individuals? Well, then you understand Tommy Lee's shirt, which is an owl with one of the red lines crossing 100%. it out. Now they yeah. all understand. Yeah. And he's eating pizza rolls. <laughs> pizza rolls. Maybe some surprise chicken if you watch the extended of there's gonna episode, be. and some nice, uh, a nice little, little, little bit of rouse pasta sauce on the side mm. for some, for some dipping. So right Life. after Von Dutch takes off, this is the point where they decide to fuck Ed Boswell out of the company, which has to make it sting even a little bit worse. Like they don't yeah. even give him any money. Like he was promised, like I think it was like one percent. Like, but see, that's the thing. This Mike guy is a snake. He's not creating contracts for anybody. Nobody's signing anything except for his bad decisions. Yeah, Mike seems like he doesn't operate in good faith a whole lot. But he asks everybody around him to do that. This is like the perfect trait of a toxic person. Like, where's your loyalty? Why don't you trust me? And then bam, it's classic. It is absolutely classic. And at the end of the first episode, that's when they introduce the the fourth key figure in this. Uh, the reason I couldn't get his name right early on, it's not Sonny. It's Tony, T-O-N-N-Y. But they called him like Tony. Oh, he, he's got five different names in this documentary. Or like Tawny. I think it was Tawny, but we're calling him Tony. Fuck that. I'm calling him Tony. I can't do that. He's my favorite part of the documentary. Yeah, he's Tony Sorensen. He's a world Taekwondo champion, which is cool as shit. Like he's he's legit good at it. Like the other thing he about would this man fuck you up. that I find fascinating is that he's got a reason behind every single thing that he does. And I I got to respect that like on some level. Like I would argue he goes through the most shit. Like Yes. Not expecting what he gets. No, no. At all. Not at all. And by goes through the most shit, it's what he puts out is not equal to what he gets back as far as the weirdness that comes his way, in my opinion. Like he just tries to make normal business decisions every step of the way, even though sometimes that can be very cutthroat and shitty. It's still business. He's the only one actually trying to run this thing as a business. Right. And he comes on as basically like an angel investor. Like he's he's got a lot of money, uh, again, because he married a rich Brazilian woman. Episode two is called The Art of War. So now we're going places. And it starts with an interview with Tony Sorensen. Uh, Mike Cassell super duper hates Tony Sorensen. We we find that out. And but don't you get the sense that Mike Cassell would hate Tony Sorensen, even if he was never in business with him? I feel like he made a deal with somebody that he despises anyway. Yeah. Mike Cassell had kind of a Kurt Cobain aesthetic to him where he was constantly doing everything he could to make his brand as huge as possible and then resenting how big his brand was getting at the same time. Like one of my main gripes about Kurt Cobain, beside the fact that he was uh, secretly terrible to women, even though he's held up as this feminist icon, is that he complained so much about being a rock star and also did all the things necessary to become a huge rock star. It's like no one's stopping you from quitting your band and putting out a solo acoustic album. It's fucking America, dude. Go do it. But he never did. Instead, he got murdered by his wife. So what happened? I blacked out. I didn't say that. We didn't say anything like that on our show. Yeah. So these two meet. Tony and Mike meet. And again, Mike does the thing 
that is required to take your business to the next level, he brings in this investor and he gives Tony 51% of the company. And I don't know what the breakdown was among the others. And uh, they well, also make him CEO. He also doesn't drop a contract with Bobby. That That's important later. Yes. There's, there's no real contract. Like Bobby is just kind of a fringe employee, sort of. I think he probably just works on a percentage. Like when he, yeah. I mean, that's usually how sellers jobs work. It's like you get paid when you sell however many units, I guess. It's never, ever explicitly explained how Bobby ever got paid. Yeah. And so. Bobby, I have in the notes, doesn't even like no one even mentions Bobby Vaughn in this part. There are people who are like, Bobby Vaughn, yeah, I kind of yeah. remember him. But for the most part, people are like, hmm, I don't know. and Because he's a sales rep. Yeah. <laughs> and so the, Von Dutch is still losing money at this point. Tony is pumping out a ton of money to keep them afloat. And it seems like Bobby's job at this point was partying really hard and pretending it was in the name of promoting Von Dutch. Like he's going to parties. He's got people dressed in Von Dutch. And it seems like that's about it, which I don't think it's definitely not a check in the positive column for his argument about what happens next. I think he has a very outsized idea of what he was owed by this company. Bobby does. Right. I, I don't, I, and this is maybe the only thing I agree with Mike Cassell on, which is like, I don't, he, he basically says I didn't owe him anything. And he was right. He didn't make Mike sign a contract. He didn't have a real job. So <laughs> he's sorry. got the least claim to being the creator of Von Dutch in that first episode. Like he was just kind of there at the beginning. He didn't create shit. And here's the thing about like, he gets screwed out of the company. And here's the thing about how it happens. He deserved it. Like he deserved yes. to be fucked out of the company because what he does, he meets up with Mark Revis again. And it turns out Mark Revis was prosecuted for that murder. And now he's out and they're back in L.A. And the way it's framed, too, is that the second Mark Revis is out of jail and the two of them are together again, everything else in Bobby's life falls apart. Right. Right. I don't I don't like that. And I don't buy that. Yeah. I just want to say this like it whatever like flimsy lifestyle he had going. He built that. And then this person comes back into his life and he wants to be a gangster. That's the thing is that that's all he ever really wanted to do is like be this dude that rolls up in the club. And I mean, seriously, that's he doesn't yeah, really to, care about the brand or anything. To some extent, it seems like because they keep bringing up that the relationship between Mark and Bobby is like a wife and her abusive husband. And in this case, Mark Revis is the abusive husband and Bobby is the one being abused. I think they lean on that a little too hard. Like Bobby goes Bobby along. Loses. He goes al at best. He goes along with some very ill-advised shit. His wife person, this girl that's interviewed in this. Yeah. The circumstances of her leaving are she leaves him and the child and the circumstances around that are never really clear in the documentary. So I'm sure there was like a drug issue there. And then he loses custody of the child. So I'm sorry, this is not like right. a victim in my opinion. <laughs> well, not even, know. not even in the, the business thing that no. happens because Bobby brings Mark Revis back to LA 
and basically forces Von Dutch to hire Mark Revis as part of the company. And the thing is, people, they do this by walking into Tony's office and pulling guns on him, which uh, that's bad business. That's that's not acting in good faith, I would argue. And then he's got the nerve to be upset when what Tony does is basically make him sign a contract that gives away all of his rights to Von Dutch. He hires him for, I think, $18,000 a year as an employee. And he's like, yeah, go off and do whatever you want, but you can't make any of this stuff. And at one point, Bobby makes jeans and that was a violation of his contract. And Tony was like, fuck you, you're fired. And it didn't take long for that to happen. And now Bobby feels all indignant about like to this day about getting kicked out of the company. And it's like, you pulled a gun on your business partner, man. Don't do that. <laughs> to me, it's, I don't know. It's just so funny. It, this, there's a lot of this like self, I don't even know what the word is. This kind of woe is me shit in this documentary that weirdly reminds me of that episode of a ghost ruined my life that we, the bonus episode that we just oh, let yeah. out. Like, yeah, it's just like, some people make mistake after mistake after mistake. And they're the only thing they have to say at the end of it is, I don't know what happened. I don't know how my life got here. And it's like, what are you talking about? You just, you just told me how your life got here. You just literally told me that you walked into technically your boss's office with a gun and demanded to get rehired. And it didn't work out the way you did get rehired. You just didn't read the contract. And then you violated the contract that you didn't read. Yeah. Yeah. Excuse me. Yeah. And that's, that is very much painted as Tony taking advantage of him. And it's I don't like, think, I thought he made this one of the smartest business moves. Yeah. Cause and, there's and, even a lawyer. So there's even a lawyer who's like, uh, Tony got him to sign a contract without legal representation. It's not illegal. Like, no. like it's your job to go get a lawyer and have them look that over. And he didn't do it. And also he pulled a gun <laughs> on his business partner. Just insane. Like, was There's that, no I, excuse. Hope, I hope that was in the contract. Like, also, if you pull a fucking gun on me again, you also lose your right. to. The well, and what's also infuriating about this guy is that it's disclosed later that he sued the company and got settlement money out of this. After Blew he my pulled mind. A gun. Well, he didn't just pull a gun on Tony. Next, Bobby and Mark do the smart thing and lure Mike Cassell to a clothing store, tie him to a chair, beat him and try to force him to sign over rights to Von Dutch. And for some reason, he says, I'll do it tomorrow. And they're like, cool, you're untied. <laughs> and then they go to meet the next day and it turns out someone uh, not Mike Cassell, in fact, but nope. someone called the police and they stormed the fucking meeting and they don't arrest Bobby and Mark, but it's implied that they kind of save Mike Cassell from probably being murdered. I just I have such a hard time feeling sorry for this Bobby person. I, I Same. There's it's interesting because it really is a documentary where there's nobody involved that you actually like. Not really. Not like a cleanly like I really like this person. Yeah. Um, except for the clothing rep that gets hired later that we're going to get to. I really like him. The oh. alien whisperer. We'll get to him in a minute. Oh, but. yeah. That guy fucking rips. Yeah. He's he rules. I have a big crush on that guy. I love that guy. 
But they bring in another guy next. After all of the dust settles from all this, Mike is still in the company. Tony's still in the company. Uh, Ed Boswell. It's mostly just Mike and Tony at this point. Bobby Vaughn is Bobby gone. (laughs) Oh, Caitlin, that rhymed. Oh, Adam Todd with 1D Brown. It rhymed. It was very funny. So the next guy they bring in, Christian Audigier, who is a real character. He he reminds me of Bruno Tomioli from Dancing with the Stars, which uh, enough with the highly relatable references. We can he move remi- on. He reminds me of like a Sasha Baron Cohen character. Yeah. He is like truly larger than life, this person. He really is. And is the only reason that Von Dutch ends up taking off the way that it does. And also later flaming the way that it does. Yeah, he's he's responsible for, in terms of just the brand recognition and uh, respect for the brand, he is responsible for the rise and the fall of that. And we find out a very, very unsurprising detail about him in the postscript to this which is that he went on to found Ed Hardy. I mean. And of course, of course, Ed Hardy. of course, the guy behind Von Dutch dogware is the guy who founded Ed Hardy. Oh, my God. But at first he does a really smart thing and gets him into women's clothes, which that helps. Oh, yeah, because it's not fashion is driven by women, mostly, in my opinion. And it goes really well, which for some reason, Mike Cassell is bitter about. Like he doesn't because he's got this aesthetic he claims at the beginning of the episode where you're you're authentic to what you do. But he never even designed the patch that the brand was built around. That's what blows my mind. His whole philosophy about branding and product. Go go kick rocks, dude. You didn't actually do any of that. Yeah, he's just he's a frustrating character. He's impossible. That's what I'm saying is like he is an impossible person. Yeah, he's he just he seems like a hard person to work with. And what happens here is the women's side of things is super duper taking off. And Mike is bothered by this and things get really tense at the office. And so speaking of things that make some of these uh, founding members, not so sympathetic characters. Mike, for some reason, in the midst of all of this fucking hockey stick shaped success that's happening with Von Dutch, takes Tony to breakfast and is like, Tony, I'd like you to meet my friend. He's a hitman. If you or I ever need someone killed, we can just reach out to this guy and he'll do it. And that's just a slightly more cordial way of waving a gun at your business partner. It's like, what the fuck did you do that for? Because they, they see this shit in movies and think that it works. Yeah. Honestly, I guess. like that's genuinely what this comes down to. <laughs> like, this is, this is a fantasy. This is a clear example of a person who thinks they exude an energy that they don't. Right. And it, Basically, for some reason, Tony is very bothered by this incident and he executes an option in the contract that basically puts Mike in the position where he either needs to buy the company or just walk away from the company. And what he has to do to buy Tony out is come up with $200,000. And 
Tony is like, well, you're this great businessman. Two million. I thought Isn't it was. It I thought no. I think it's only two hundred thousand. Oh. And Tony is like, well, you're this. You're this great businessman. You got all these connections. Uh, go raise the money. Give me that, and I'll be. You know, I'll hit, be done. Hitman, you're you're set. And it turns out that Mike cannot raise that money, so he just kind of loses the company, which. And and this is kind of my, I mean, I understand that Tony married a Brazilian lady who had a lot of money, right? but it says a lot that he even thought to put this clause into the contract when he initially signed Mike, like made this deal with Mike Cassell. It, it shows in my opinion, a lot of foresight uh, with this person like, yeah. okay, I'm going to be putting in a lot of money. And if you start to go a wall, I need to be able to get out basically. And I, I think it's a really brilliant contract clause. <laughs> it's it saved his ass. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. You know, the only problem is at this point, Von Dutch is losing money every year. Lots of money, like millions uh-huh. of dollars every year. Yeah. And now Tony is the sole owner. He treats us to a very confusing quote about being in the middle of the third round. I don't understand that quote. And yeah, he says, he literally says, uh, I have this quote that I always say, and then just goes on this rambling, like 250 word thing about how if you're in the middle of the third round, you can still win. It's like, maybe he just thought the quote was, we're still in the third round. Maybe that's what he was trying to say. (laughs) But I still don't understand because in my head, I'm like, what if you're really behind and you're in the third round? Yeah. And they were really, really behind. And you have one round left. So very confused. But uh, this is also the point where they make possibly their best decision of all, which is to start selling trucker hats. And they also make another very smart decision, which it was t- Tony's idea to sell them for a lot of money. Like they're selling trucker hats for like 50 and $60. It worked. And everyone thought that was a terrible idea. They put their first round of trucker hats out and they sell out in a couple of days. So they know they're on to something. And their plan ends up being to just kind of give shit away to celebrities. And the man who really makes that happen, oh, the absolute, just mo- possibly the only sympathetic character in this. I mean, there's like, like there's impl- like there's the woman from like, marketing who's she's oh, just Cheryl like Sandberg avatar yeah she's just there to tell you more things that happened like she's pretty inoffensive well and she's so corporate yeah yeah like, it's she, like it we're was not getting her any job yeah real anything out of her for that but tracy mills who i am in love with him like no wonder all the celebrities just like hanging out with him that's like his whole vibe is and i find him a very compelling foil to bobby because yeah. he is who Bobby thinks he is. Oh, yeah. One hundred percent. There, There's a quote where Kanye West says that people like Tracy Mills because he can talk to aliens. And what he actually means is celebrities. Like celebrities mm-hmm. feel like aliens <laughs> to normal people in a lot of cases. And not to this guy. Uh, he has befriended so many celebrities uh, already by this point. And he's basically like, yeah, I can bring I can bring celebrities into the store. Of course, that's what I do. Yeah, he has a meeting with that Christian guy. And and that is really, I think, a moment of genius that Tommy can't take credit for. Tommy can take credit for the hat thing. But as far as 
the implementation of the brand in celebrity world, that's, that was Christian. Right. And, and, and basically hiring somebody to just bring celebrities in to take everything that they want. My favorite celebrity coming in to take whatever they want moment is Whitney Houston. That it's the best. It is, it is such a great, it is worth the whole documentary. It is literally worth sitting through the whole documentary to watch Tommy talk about his reaction to Whitney Houston coming in. Yes. Because it's a very quintessential Whitney Houston moment, if you know her background and her actual backstory. Yeah. Uh, because most celebrities will come in and be like, can I have those two pairs of jeans and like that hat and I'm good. Whitney Houston takes 30 bags of shit when they walk her through the store because that's what they would do. They would just celebrities could just come take whatever they want with the uh, understanding that they would wear it to shit. And that really worked because of Tracy Mills. Like he was that conduit between celebrities and Von Dutch. But Tommy talking about Whitney Houston is so good. Oh yeah. Because and I love his attitude because like one of his like sales associates walks up to him and says like, Tommy, she's taking 30 bags. And he says, have you heard her voice? <laughs> yeah. He's like, you let her take 30 bags. It's Whitney Houston. What are you I'm thinking? like, yes, that's what I would say too. Like, she's just going to rob me blind, I guess, because it's a, a, a good business decision and B, listen to her. She's the most beautiful voice in the world. And Bad. also at this point, they're doing $150 million a year in sales. So this is, this is like Vanilla Ice being nominated for Grammys yeah. point. If you're, if you're comparing their trajectories, which are very similar, uh, Von yeah, Dutch it, was big for a few more years than Vanilla Ice, but it crashes and burns just as fast. Yeah, the Paris Hilton stuff is fascinating, too. Oh, yeah, because the we, we've now reached episode three, which is called Von Douche, which is a very lighthearted title for an episode we've been promised is going to end in murder. <laughs> I remember like when when I saw the title of that episode, I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember people saying that. Like I had forgotten completely about the Von Douche thing, but I remember now. Yeah. And they they try to shoehorn in this thing called the curse of Von Dutch, where they're like, anyone who's ever tried to do anything with his brand has suffered some weird fate. And it's like, yeah, that's what this documentary is about. It seems like no one else has done shit with his name. Like, just, like yeah. they're trying to like add some sort of paranormal element to it. I don't think we needed that. But nope. anyway, Mike, for some reason, is really bent out of shape about how big the brand has become ever since he took Tony to breakfast with a hitman. And he's also been out of shape about how he feels like it's becoming a joke. Like this wasn't for the Paris Hiltons of the world. This was supposed to be for bikers, man, and tough guys who specialize in pinstriping and so <laughs> hate annoying. minorities. So annoying. He's so annoying. Yeah, it's like I I would be salty too, but I some of that would be me looking in the mirror and going, "You shouldn't have done that breakfast." What I what I don't like about this person is that he can't admit that he made a mistake. It has to be hoisted onto some larger he is making he's a martyr, a philosophical martyr, and he couldn't stomach the brand no, what it was is that he couldn't stomach that it wasn't his ideas that were skyrocketing the brand. That's right. what bothered him. That's all it was. And he may not even be aware of that, but that's exactly what happens when, you know, it's thoughts like that that trigger the kind of self-destructive behavior that he engaged in and created the situation for himself that he finds himself in now. Yeah. And so here's where we get to Paris Hilton. They... <sighs> 
she's kind of held up as the peak of Von Dutch success and also the point where it stops being cool and starts being Von Douche. Yeah, she literally synthesizes the entire yeah. process. And it's all her. That's and that's why she's interviewed in this. She also inter- she introduces herself as a fashion icon, which I gotta I, I gotta respect. That. Yeah, I gotta respect that. I love Paris Hilton. People are so shitty about her, and it's like mm, also stars uh, is, stars are blind is a fucking banger. I love that, and I I could we could talk about how also Kim Kardashian's pretty great. Everybody shits on her too. It's like oh I'm sorry, have you freed anybody from prison lately? Have yeah. you done that? Were you able to a, do that? I wrote a cracked article about that. About He's the awesome. Kardashians. Uh, yeah. And another thing that I really liked about Paris Hilton was the Simple Life, which was a reality show, but a highly scripted reality Genius. show. Yes. But the it was, show was so good. And they wore a lot of Von Dutch on that show. She called it their uniform. She said yeah. before they went to Arkansas, they just went and cleared out the store and that's yeah. all they wore while they were on their trip. My favorite moment. I don't know. I-, I can't have one favorite moment, but there was don't choose between your children today, Adam. It's the- a holiday weekend. There was one where they're working at a restaurant and this guy kept, uh, one of the managers kept, like cracking down on Nicole Richie whenever she would touch something he'd be like wash your hands again and then she started doing it to him like everything he would touch she was like hey wash your hands Nicole Richie is so smart too I love Nicole Richie I love every single time like there was one where this kid where this kid was like working at the the front desk of some office and she's like how old are you and he's like 18 she's like that's hot yeah (laughs) he just like fell apart it was so good he didn't know what to do ah So, yeah, that show and Paris Hilton, the brand, make Von Dutch bigger (laughs) than ever. And for some reason, Bobby Vaughn sees Paris Hilton at a club and decides to confront her about another brilliant choice. Yeah, it's like you fucking suck, dude. Don't don't do things like this. And he decides once again that the way to rectify his business gripes is to find Tony and wave some guns at him. This time they do it in traffic while Tony has one of, like, the VP of sales in the car with him. And they just, like, stop an SUV in front of Tony while he's driving and, like, wave guns at him and then pull off. And it's like... But it's the same weird, like, limp dick shit over and over again. These guys just like, hey, just just FYI. It's like, that's not gonna work. (laughs) You're just going to get sued again or something like stop it. And it's like, what? Yeah. What do you think is going to happen? Like, and I think this is where the abusive relationship aspect with Mark Revis comes into play because, uh, because none of these things are working and they're not making any money. Mark Revis gets really mad and dangles Bobby Vaughn from a balcony, which that is some vanilla ice Suge Knight shit. And, uh, he he robs Bobby of a gun so he can kill himself. This is probably the only part of the story where I feel sorry for Bobby, if I could say that, because I, I really do believe he he completely built this situation for himself. There there's no, there's no one else to look to. You lose custody of your kids. You it's like what you know how hard it is to lose custody of your kids in California, Adam. <laughs> like it's. They will leave kids with people for as long as humanly possible. Like it's yeah. so I don't know what led to that, but the way he describes it is like they took my kid away. Harshest goodbye ever. <laughs> he I bet. His kid. 
like, damn. Um, but Mark doesn't kill himself. Bobby stops him. He like kicks Bobby in the bathroom him. door and tackles him. And so the, the, there's more stuff about the company getting even bigger while all this is happening. There's a lot of you can yada yada through that, but it kind of has to be in the documentary because it's there. Mark tries to rob Bobby's girlfriend at one point, and Bob, who is a Playboy playmate, and she wears this big ass ring, and Mark is like, rob her and take that ring. And he's like, she's my girlfriend. I'm not going to rob my girlfriend. And Mark is like, well, then I'll do it. And Bobby is so loyal to Mark. He literally says, well, I didn't feel like I could intervene because Mark has been my friend forever. Any goodwill that I had for him at that moment bottomed out. I'm yeah. like, all right, well, you're, and then he, and that's when he pulls the, it's kind of like I was in a bad relationship. No, dude, like that's. It sounds like your girlfriend was in a bad relationship. Yeah, and the funniest part is she fights Mark Rivas off. Just yeah, drives away. off with him as he's jumping on the hood of her car. Yeah. Like good for her. Movie shit. Uh, so yeah, they start, there's two different incidents that happen here, and uh, they kind of keep jumping back and forth between them. And we are not going to do that. I'm just going to tell you what they both are. Yeah. One, a team of, I think it's appropriate to say thugs, uh, they oh, are yeah. part of the Escobar family, and they have come for Those shady business. Literally textbook thugs. Textbook no, that's thugs. That's not you being like a generalist. No. <laughs> And they show up at Von Dutch headquarters and they demand a meeting with Tony. And they're like, uh, you get $500,000 and you lose the company and you have to take this deal, basically. <laughs> and Tony has to be like, fucking again. Like, imagine being this guy who just invested in this company. You've made it huge. And shit like this keeps it. It's not just that, like. It's so funny. I mean, it's funny now. Yeah. To me. I, it, but it's like, it's just amazing that these guys thought these plans. It, it just. How many video games have you been playing? What movies were you watching? Where is this coming from? Because this isn't how business works. Even if you want it to work that way, it doesn't. Yeah. Like, if you enter into a contract with someone in a way that would also allow them to call the police and have you arrested, that contract's not going to hold up in court. Like, what are you doing? Oh, duress. And like the Escobar family doesn't have time to keep pursuing this. They're going to do it once. And if you call their bluff, they're going to be like, all right, fuck it. We were just doing it for this guy anyway. I almost feel like coming in with the money weakens anything that they had to say. It's it should have just been like, you have to give up your company or we're going to kill you. But of course, they're not going to do that because if they do that, then it's a real threat, which right. is why, you know, none of this is real anyway. I do like that Tony mentions that at this point, he started thinking about who to Taekwondo first to get out of this oh situation, <laughs> which it's is a legitimate so uh, thought for him to have. Full Uncle Rico right there. Like, that was and great. I was just, I was not expecting him to say that at all. He's like, I was sitting there with the, the money on my desk and I was looking at everybody and I just started thinking, okay, I'm going to punch him here. I'm going to kick this guy in the neck. It's just, yeah, <laughs> it's like dudes on parade. I, documentary it's crazy and he does the obvious thing he signs the contract and then he just calls the police and he's like well here's what happened to me fucking handle it yeah and so they don't lose the company obviously 
I don't think they happened at the same time, but they make it seem like they're happening at the same time. But uh, meanwhile, at, back at the ranch, back at Bobby's apartment, there's just been this huge uh, blow up with Mark Revis. Same night. So Bobby's girlfriend drives off. Mark survives surfing on her car, I guess, goes back into the apartment that he and Bobby were sharing. And then what? And then uh, Bobby is scared because Mark Revis is clearly, clearly on one tonight. And Bobby makes it back to his apartment. He locks the door and Mark Revis is outside or maybe it's just his bedroom in their apartment. But uh, Mark Revis is outside knocking on the door and saying, chalk it up, which is their slang for you're about to get murdered. And Bobby has a gun in his room. I just note that if if you have a common like little nomenclature for you're about to get murdered amongst your friends, you've made some bad choices. Yeah, you're a bad friend group and one that most people <laughs> should not want to enter. Like, yeah, I, I'm I, not I, even you, getting in a text group with them. That No, although now I'm definitely going to be texting you chalk it up. But go ahead. <laughs> chalk it up. Chalk it up in the neck. In the neck, which appropriate for what happens next. Mark is finally able to break through Bobby's door. So Bobby shoots him. He he kills him. They get in a little scuffle and Bobby feeling like his life was in danger, which is understandable. There's a man with a gun kicking down your door and uh, Bobby survives, basically. And what it really bothered me that he even went on trial for that. Me too. Like that, you know, that was some racially motivated shit because it was clear that that was self-defense. Someone is breaking down your door with a gun. Jack Jack Torrance style. Yeah. You know, that's scary. Anyone seeing that happen, if you then see them shoot the person breaking through the door, you're going to be like, yeah. Of course, that's what you do. I think I think what they did, like if this is just my guess, it was the 911 call because the, they play the 911 call. Yeah. And he and just Bobby, says, I shot my friend. Bobby is just saying he killed somebody and that's it. And instead of somebody was trying to get me and I shot them and just left it at pro tip. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I think the 911 call and plus probably we don't get into what kind of state of mind Bobby was in. When the police are there, we, you know, like he even says that he was on drugs. He talks about it in the documentary that he was on drugs. So I, I agree with you. I'm sure there was like racial elements to it. But on top of that, it would be very hard to know for sure if this person's story is true yeah. or not, yeah. honestly. Yeah, there's there's a whole bunch of stuff surrounding his trial. Bobby is his own worst enemy is what I'm saying here. Oh, yeah. Like, that's there we go. Yeah. That's, in yeah. in most situations in this documentary. Yeah. But I, I you don't want him to get convicted. They get they get into no. a bunch of his stuff, his trial and he's found not guilty on all charges because it was clearly self-defense. So yeah. that part's good. Uh, now, the way the company dies is Christian Audigier, who is the Borat character that they bring in to, <laughs> as Caitlin said, to uh, blow up the company. At one point, Tony's like, people are seeing our logo too much and you have to scale back a little or people are going to get very tired of seeing us. And Christian is like, okay, that, but opposite. What I'm going to do is put the logo on everything. And they start putting it on dog clothes, 
it's the dog clothes that really kill them. But they me, get into like kids like, clothes. I think it's the kids clothes because yeah. I, I mean, I remember seeing like some kids in that and I vividly remember looking at my friend because everyone we knew that wore Von Dutch were party animals. Like I, there's, it's like a cheesy way to say it, but like, so to see a kid in Von Dutch was like, uh oh, like <laughs> that's the dog thing, whatever. Cause I grew up with like Chanel outfits with dogs I could get, but the kid stuff was like, oh, that's not good. Yeah. They're doing energy drinks, like all this weird shit. And they also find out Christian is getting kickbacks from all of these deals. So he's yeah. literally stealing from the company. And that's the point where the company starts being known as Von Douche. And the the marketing lady in describing how quickly things fell from that point, she says, it's almost like a rock star who dies at 26. It's 27. It's the 27 club, ma'am, not the 26 club. Yeah. Get it right. So they, well, let's skip a little bit and talk about how this documentary truly ends. Because I love when you think a documentary is all about one thing, and then they're like, oh, also this. Did you know it's this? It's a good ending. It's a good ending. And what we find out is that uh, in 2004, we find out Von Dutch, super duper racist. Before he died, shortly before his death, he wrote a letter that said, among other things, I am not willing to go through it anymore, only to emerge in a place full of Mexicans and Jews. Hmm. Fucking yikes, Von Dutch. Yeah, that's not kind of racist. But there's more. Here's another quote. I have always been a Nazi and still believe it was the last time the world had a good chance of being operated with a logic. Goddamn, Von Dutch. Okay. Okay. And now I mentioned at the beginning, the first Purge movie, where there's that character who shows up and then disappears for most of the story and then comes back in a really huge way. Ed Boswell, the first my person. Long, my Long Beach buddy. First person to get fucked out of the company is also the person who eventually breaks this Nazi story. Because it turns out the whole time he had a massive collection of Von Dutch shit. And this letter was in it. And that also brings up kind of a, a, a conflict. No kidding. Because he's positioning this as, ah, got him. I'm a fucking, I showed them goddamn yeah, hero. He was, he was trying to build his life around this thing too. Yeah. And Tony's like, so you knew he was a Nazi and decided to start making shirts anyway? Cool. That, that makes you look really good too. And that's a great fucking point. Yeah. He's the one that actually knew. Yeah. So he, yeah, he created Von Dutch in that he didn't tell anyone it was essentially a Nazi brand. It looked Ooh. like it, though. That's what's crazy is that it always signaled that to me. As a kid, I was like, there's something weird and white supremacist about this. And Just, I don't it, know why I don't like it, but I don't like it. Looks like, like the Hugo Boss of skateboarding. <laughs> so that's the episode. That's or that's the documentary. Uh, Bobby did sue and got an undisclosed sum of money. Apparently, Mike has not. He's just uh, Bobby should not have won a lawsuit. I don't think so either. The, the waving guns at your partner twice really doesn't sit well with me in terms of business law. But apparently there's two sides to that story. Holy shit. I guess. I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a good documentary. It's a, I feel like they do try to kind of paint Tommy as this like 
total douchebag, but I don't think he is at all, really. Um, I think he just is an entrepreneur that seized on an opportunity. And that's what Mike Cassell was doing, too. He just did it badly. <laughs> yeah, the, their only real gripe with Tony is that he made it bigger and kind of oversaw it becoming something that Mike Cassell didn't want it to be. And that's why I hate at the end when they're like, yeah, if Mike stayed in charge, it would probably just still be not a really true. cool clothing brand. It's like, man, he would have fucking sold it for $150,000 and gotten fucked out of that too. Yeah, that's the best case scenario. Because yeah. the thing is, is people like this who are just, who refuse to take responsibility for themselves are not good business people. Like it, at the end of the day, unless they're a trust fund kid, it, they're not going to make it. You have to be Donald Trump yeah. in order for that behavior to turn into anything beyond what we saw in this documentary. I, I love that it ends with shots of people throwing the hats back because they start the documentary by tossing yeah. hats to all of the celebrities and people that they interview. And they reveal this thing about, oh, he was also a Nazi. And then immediately cut to people throwing the hats back, except Tracy Mills. My boyfriend. Who... Uh, he, so in love with him. He keeps the hat, which... Uh, he had no idea Ed Hardy was racist. Neither did I. Or not Ed Hardy. Uh, Von Dutch. Tomato, tomato. But yeah. Go ahead. Neither did I. I like, the story broke in 2004. I had no idea. So they show him the letter. And he's like, holy shit, yeah. Von Dutch. That is super racist. And uh, But also, he's the only one that doesn't throw the hat back, which I feel like Von Dutch would have hated which makes That's what it. I know his whole reaction's great. Cause he's like, yeah. well, I love it because you know, it was me who made this, made this brand what it is. Yeah. So yeah. So I think he's he like, says something like, like God must've seen him and be like, okay, I got you. Yeah. He's probably <laughs> the only person that could bring Von Dutch back and make it a thing people cared about again. But Unless Why would we are you? living in, in such a crazy country and time where people are going to watch this now and ironically vibe on Dutch stuff, which I think is completely possible. Oh, that'll for sure happen. That will for sure happen. It'll be but so, oh God, looking back on the fashion of the early 2000s, it's like, it's so bright and like tacky. It was just such a stupid time for clothing. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I was working an office job at the time. And yeah, I, I was like a teenager. Nothing. It didn't matter what I wore. Yeah, I didn't have to get out and impress people. Like I just had to wear khakis four days a week and then I could wear jeans on Friday because we're free. God bless America. <laughs> so that's our episode. That was a long one. We covered three episodes of a documentary in one podcast episode. A lot so of I would say it's like spark notes, but not really because you still <laughs> it's a long spark note situation. Yeah, you could get through a sizable chunk of the documentary itself. I give this itself. like three mm -hmm. out of four stars. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's good. It's I just got don't some problems though. I it's just got don't some, like, like that it kind of glosses over the actions of a couple of those people and tries to minute. make it seem like also they got screwed. They bring in Mark Revis's brother for like thirty seconds. Yeah, and all he says is, "Hey, I'm just here." To represent my brother. And that's all he says. Yeah. He's like, my brother was a good dude. It's like, have you seen this documentary? See you later. Like, I, I don't know what that, I don't know why they included that. There's a couple things in this where I'm like, why didn't you just cut that out? Like yeah. you didn't, this doesn't really do anything. They really, the girlfriend, baby mama probably did not need to be in there. I don't see the point in that 
at all because yeah. Bobby basically acts like she didn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, you know, it's just, I don't know. So yeah, that's it. That's it. Do we have anything to plug before we get out of here? I hope everybody's having a good holiday season. Yeah, me too. Well, I, yeah. Holiday season. We'll be past Thanksgiving. How was your Thanksgiving, Caitlin? I'm still full. Me too. I hope I can eat solid food by then. We'll see how it goes. Uh, yeah, I don't have uh, patreon.com slash unpops, unpopsnetwork.supercast.tech. And you can get bonus episodes right on Spotify what? these days. If you listen to podcasts in the Spotify app, uh, fucking look around. There's probably a subscription <laughs> take, button somewhere. Take I assume. a little little spin through the old yeah. podcast world. I don't listen to podcasts. I can't tell you where it is. Uh, Caitlin, do you have anything to plug? Uh, go to the, our Instagram, Pretty Scary Boo oh, yeah. on Instagram. I'm on there putting around for us. So come say hi. Get on there. You it's jerks. Me. If you reach out to it, it's me. It's Caitlin. It's me. All right. If you've got messages from Adam, I'll screenshot them and send them to him, and I'm sure he'll never reply. Yeah. Yeah, probably not. Probably not. All right. Let's get out of here. Caitlin, say goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. We love you.